So today we're continuing our fall sermon series about the big decisions that we make in life. And today we're looking at the question, the decision that, that we all have to make at some point or another about what career should I pursue? Now there was a time, a day and age, when this was one of those decisions that you probably made once. In fact, may not have had to make it at all. If your father was a baker, then you would be a baker. If your father was a silversmith, then you would be a silversmith. If your father was king, you would be king. There weren't a lot of decisions to be made, but, but as recently as just a generation or two or three ago, people had vocational choices. They could choose careers, but pretty much you did that for your career. My father was an electrical engineer. That's what he did. Many of your fathers and your grandfathers and perhaps your grandmothers chose careers and that's what they were. A librarian, a blacksmith, a farmer, a doctor, that's what you did. Things have changed dramatically. Career counseling services now tell us that for the class graduating from college this last spring, the class of 2014, they will likely have three, four, maybe even five different careers during their lifetime. Not just once, but five times they'll have to make a decision about what career path should I choose. Perhaps you right now are somewhere in the middle of your work life and you're wondering, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm going to do for the next 10 years or 15 or 20 years? Or maybe you're at the point where you have retired and you're simply reflecting and looking back on your life. And you're looking at your career and wondering, did I make the right choice? In one way or another, we all are or will be or have been looking at the big decision, and it is a big one, about what career should we pursue? Well, I think the scriptures give us some guidance here. And I want to begin with the Old Testament from uh, 1 Kings, and it's the story of King Solomon. Now, King Solomon, when we think of him, we often think of the stories and the tales and things that took place later in his life. King Solomon, we know, was the wisest and the greatest of all the kings of Israel. But there was a day before he gained that reputation. There was a day before he got the accolades, before he was recognized as the best and the brightest. And our scripture reading today is the story of his first day sitting on the throne. Now, this came as a huge surprise to Solomon. Solomon, as a boy, never expected to be king of Israel. It really wasn't in the cards for his life. Solomon was fourth or fifth, depending on how you count, in line to succeed to the throne of David. Fourth or fifth in the line of succession. Think about that. Let's look at our own government. So if the President of the United States is not able to serve, who then assumes the office? Vice President. Right. So that's the first. Who's the second in line would be after the Vice President would come the... Speaker of the House, third in line, right? Fourth in line would be the Secretary of State, fourth in line. Fifth in line, and now we're to where Solomon falls in. Fifth in line in succession of your own government is, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> but that just shows you how no one thought Solomon, who was fourth or fifth in line, 
was ever really going to be king of Israel. It just wasn't going to happen. And then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, or should I say, in the batting of Bathsheba's eye, suddenly David is blessing Bathsheba's son and making Solomon king of Israel. No one saw this coming, especially the older brothers. So now we've got Solomon, his first day on the throne. Never dreamt this would happen. Never prepared for this to happen. Wasn't even sure he wanted this to happen. And yet here he is as king of Israel. And what does he do on that first day? You can almost imagine him. I don't think he was sitting in the throne. I think he was down on his knees with his nose touching the ground. I'm going to read from 1 Kings 3. Um, I'm going to start at the third verse. Let us listen for God's word to us. Now Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want to give. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the blessing that always accompanies the reading and hearing of your sacred word. May it find its home in our hearts this day. And, and Lord, I pray your spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts removing from my lips any words but your own. That with faithfulness and with integrity, I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. 
Well, I love this story because it shows how even someone like Solomon in his own life is having to wrestle with the issues of career path. Is this really what I'm supposed to do? How am I supposed to this? Am I called to this or was this just the scheming of my mother? Is this really the passion of my heart or is this just what I am bound by obligation to fulfill? Using other terms, other languages, other scenarios, these are the same sort of things that that we play out in our own lives. How many of you remember sitting in high school in that career counselor's office and they always ask you the question like, um, so if it wasn't for the money, what would you do? Which is a stupid question to ask a high school senior. I didn't even know what I wanted for lunch that day. And when I did decide, I was informed that being second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals really wasn't a solid career choice. But we were all there. We were moved in one direction or another, go for the sciences, go for the arts and humanities, go for the fine arts, go for the athletics. We're all pushed to make these decisions about what career path we will pursue. Now, interesting, the conversation is often centered around two words, occupation and vocation. Occupation and vocation. Occupation comes from the same root word as the English word to occupy or to fill space. And indeed, that's what our occupations do, don't they? They fill up our lives. They fill up and occupy and take up the space of our minds and our hearts. We give ourselves and our lives and our energy and our intellect and our creativity to our occupations. They fill our lives. Now, I want you to understand occupations are good things. I am a strong encourager of occupations. I can't tell you as the father of three young adults how many times I've said, get a job. I'm a believer in occupations. We should have them. Occupations are what allow us to take responsibility for our lives and to provide for our families and for our loved ones. You know, John Calvin spoke very highly of occupations. At that time in Europe, Many of the nobility were living on their, uh, their estates and their inheritances, and they didn't work. And Calvin said we should all have occupations. Furthermore, he said that there are no occupations that are higher or more esteemed above others. He said, as long as you do something with integrity that promotes virtue, there is honor in that occupation. Whether it's being a street sweeper or a farmer, or a nurse, or an accountant, or a school teacher, or a blacksmith, or a pastor. There is honor in all those occupations if they are done with integrity and if they promote virtue. Calvin was a strong believer that we should have jobs. But we also know that not all occupations are appropriate for Christians. Not all occupations line up consistently with our values as disciples of Jesus Christ. For instance, as Christians, we should avoid occupations that 
that take advantage of and prey on the weak and the vulnerable. As Christians, we should avoid occupations that are inherently deceitful and misleading. As Christians, we should avoid occupations that promote and profit from violence and bloodshed. As Christians, I believe we should avoid occupations that, that disrespect and devalue and dishonor other human beings. As Christians, we should avoid occupations that encourage, that demand ourselves or encourage others break laws. Whether those laws are the, the laws of society or the laws of God, we should not be engaged in those kind of occupations. And those are just some examples. But we understand that there are so many occupations that we can have that we can do with integrity and that do promote virtue. And yet we know there are some that do not and should be avoided by Christians. For example, many of you probably remember the story of John Newton. He's best known for writing uh, two of our favorite hymns. We sing them all the time. He wrote Amazing Grace and Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, right? Two of our favorite hymns. Now what you may not know is some of the backstory behind that. John Newton, when he was 16 years old, was kidnapped by the British Navy and forced to serve as a sailor in the British Navy. Problem was, he wasn't a very good sailor. And so after about two years, he was actually sold by his shipmates into slavery in West Africa. And John Newton served as a slave in West Africa until his father found out what happened and sent a rescue ship to free him from slavery. Well, when he was freed, Newton then assumed command of the ship and turned it into a slave trading ship. And he then began his career of trading slaves from West Africa to the Caribbean. Well, in 1748, in the midst of a very difficult journey, a very stormy night, when he was scared that this was the end of his life and his crew and his, his cargo, he gave himself to Jesus Christ and committed himself to being a Christian. And he began to read the scriptures. And they even started having little um, uh, chapel services, little prayer services on board the slave trading ship. But here's the thing. He became a Christian in 1748. He didn't stop trading slaves for another six years. It took him six years to realize that his occupation was incongruent with the Christian faith. But in, 19, or in 1754, he gave up sailing. He stopped being a slave trader. He actually decided to be a pastor. He applied to be a Presbyterian, and we turned him down. So he became an Episcopalian instead. He became an Anglican. And of course, we know that, that he went on to join forces with William Wilberforce, and together they became the leading voice in the abolitionist movement to uh, uh, end slavery in Great Britain. And um, despite all of his wonderful works and his hymns and, and everything that he wrote, John Newton said that the, the best day of his life was in 1804 when Parliament passed the, the Slave Trade Act outlawing uh, slavery and the slave trade in Great Britain. But here was a guy who had a, a very profitable career going, 
and yet realized that there was something inappropriate, something incongruent with his values and his faith in that career. I think it also shows how easy it is to point out the speck in someone else's career choices when we have to first deal with the log in our own career choices. Occupations are good. Occupations are important. Everyone should have a job. We also sometimes talk about vocation. Vocation finds its root in the Latin word vocare, which just means calling or passion. And when we talk about vocation, we talk about what what you were created for, what your life's purpose is for, what are the passions, the desires of your heart, what do you get excited about doing in the morning, what has God called you to? Often, uh, we talk about vocation when we're talking about religious service, like these wonderful missionaries that we celebrate today are, are all those wonderful uh, mission workers downstairs at our, our uh, mission fair today. Sometimes we talk about priests and pastors and preachers uh, having a vocation. Often we even refer to people in helping professions like um, teachers and doctors and psychologists and nurses as having a vocation. And true, there is a calling aspect to it, but, but the problem is that we often talk about it as if there are vocations and occupations, as if there are two ends of the spectrum. And in reality, we, we often talk about it like this, as if vocations are more valuable than occupations, and we all need to have the vocation but I want to suggest that that is not the way we should be looking at it. It's not vocation versus occupation. I think the Scriptures show us that the real model that we should be uh, 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 trying to embrace is finding our vocation within our occupation. Finding ways to honor God, to act with integrity, to promote virtue, to, to lift up beauty and joy and healing and illumination and trustworthiness and faithfulness and all the fruits of the Spirit within the context of our given occupations. We don't all have to run away and become missionaries or even pastors to have a vocation. You can find your vocation right where you're at. There's a story, and I don't know if it's true, but it's about King Henry III of Bavaria in the 11th century who, uh, after ruling on the throne for 27 years, he was now an old man. And he had grown weary of court life and, and the responsibilities of being king and all the political elite allies and, and all that, and had just become weary. And because he knew his years were drawing to a close, decided that he wanted to spend his remaining years in a monastery. He wanted to spend his days in prayer and, and engaged in acts of charity. And so he went to visit one of the monasteries within his kingdom, and he spoke to the prior about this. And the prior was very concerned about it. He said, um, my Lord, to be part of our brotherhood, you have to take vows of abstinence and poverty and obedience. Are you going to be able to do that? As king, you've never had to be obedient to anyone. And the king said, in order to live the life I want to live, I am willing to pledge my obedience to you as Christ leads you. And the prior said, well, all right then. 
So here's what I command you to do. I want you to go back to your kingdom and I want you to sit on that throne and I want you to serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. Wow. Is that a lesson for all of us? What if we all took that to heart and we all found ways to serve faithfully in the place where God has put us? How might that change your morning wake-up routine? How might that change the way you look at those conference meetings, the way you look at those kids in the classroom, the way you approach those patients, those clients, those customers, those colleagues? I think the best example I've seen of this uh, many of you know that a few years ago, I uh, was the head of a homeless prevention ministry in downtown Dallas. And we worked with families who were within 30 days of being evicted, foreclosed on, and our goal was to keep them from ending up on the streets or keep their, their families from ending up in a shelter. And we worked with legal aid and some preferred lenders and all sorts of organizations and had a great ministry doing this. But one of our partners in this ministry was a guy named Jeff, and I don't, I, this is really bad, I don't even remember Jeff's last name, but Jeff owned a Jiffy Lube in Irving, Texas. And Jeff came to us and he said that for no charge, he would change the oil and do minor repair and maintenance on every family in our program. Because, you know, when you're living paycheck to paycheck, and when you're within 30 days of being evicted and on the streets, you cannot afford to miss a day of work. And if your car isn't working, that, that can be the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And over the, the course of time, he literally fixed hundreds of cars, changed the oil, put on tires, whatever it took to keep those cars running so those people could get to their jobs, so they could take their kids to school, so they could drop the kids, so they could keep their life together and not end up on the streets. That, my friends, is a man who found a way to pursue his vocation within the context of his occupation. He fulfilled his calling as an auto mechanic. Now, I promised you that every week during this series, I was going to give you some tools, some disciplines for discernment. Remember the first week we talked about the, the difference between discerning and deciding. And last week we talked about the first tool of discernment was confessing your sins, being true and honest and real about yourself and, and, and stripping away the facades that we hide behind. Well, today, this actually is a no-brainer, Today, the tool of dis uh, discernment is prayer. In our scripture reading, we, we saw the example of King Solomon on his very first day confessing, I don't know what to do. I don't know why I'm here. Help me. And it goes to the Lord in prayer. And uh, the other example, um, one of many that we could find in scripture, but I, I'm going to take this one out of the book of Acts, the first chapter of Acts. So Jesus has been crucified and risen, and now he's ascended into heaven, but we haven't got to Pentecost yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't descended. So the disciples are all gathered into this room in Jerusalem, and they, they've got a big decision to make. 
Because remember, Judas is no longer with the group. And they want to replace Judas. And so they're trying to figure out what are they going to do. And so it says right there in, um, in uh, verse uh, 23, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. And they prayed. And I thought there and I wondered, what difference would that make in our own lives? What if, if as we were trying to figure out what we're going to do with our families, if our family sat around that kitchen table and we hold hands and we prayed? What, what difference would it make in our corporate boardrooms? Now, I know you're saying, well, we can't sit around, hold hands, and sing kumbaya at work. And I get that. I get that. But what if you just took a moment yourself, quietly, privately, offered up that decision to the Lord in prayer and asked God's guidance? You know, one of the things I really like about the contemplative prayer group that we have here is that they really focus on and, and help to develop the practices and the disciplines of being open and receptive to God's Word. I think the problem with so many of our prayer times is that we're so busy talking that we never shut up long enough to hear God's answers. So as you are discerning the big decisions of your life, I encourage you to spend time listening quietly, being open to the promptings of the Spirit. My friends, I truly believe that we are all just one big decision away from being the people God created us to be. We are one big decision away from living the life that God created us to live. Discern wisely. Amen.